some old school realtors, some, they say to me when I ask them for help, they go, that's not my job, Jerry. That's your job as a lender. And I say, no, it's not. If you want to get this, and, and after we go through these tests, like it's, it's like, let's say it's a, a, a new realtor that I'm not, I haven't dealt with before. If they have that comment to me right in the middle of processing, believe it, believe it, that when we're done this one, they work with me more in the future because they realize it is a different industry than they grew up with. Hello and welcome to the Agent Podcast with your host, that's me, Raymond Sholseth. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome back to the Agent Podcast. I'm with my friend Jerry Green here out of Maryland. Jerry, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm glad to be here with you. Yeah, thanks for being here with me. So Jerry, you've been in and around real estate for a really long time. Can you share a little bit about your background with us? Well, it's it's pretty diverse. It's a it's a great story. I, sometimes I get a little verbose, but uh, I started with helping my dad when I was a kid repair the house. Uh, he was a handyman. One thing led to another. I went to college, got out of college with a degree in accounting, started working around. I was a CFO for a number of different companies in, in a couple of different industries, and I settled on construction. Once I was in construction, I realized I've got some skills to do a lot of this on the side. I had my own little company. Then I started doing real estate inspections. I got involved in insurance. I uh, did safety inspections for people. I bought and sold real estate myself. I, I understood because I'm an accountant the all of the different aspects of the numbers and how they all fit together. Um, I was involved in local government and local politics, and I understood the tax base a little bit. I, I It seems like as my life has progressed, I've gotten hit with all the different sides of real estate, owning, managing. I was in the community management business, running homeowners associations for a couple of years. It's what my dad used to call the Jack of all trades, master of none, but all of these little pieces have helped me mature into a great, what I consider a a great lender and and a great advisor to people who are interested in buying, selling, refinancing. I, I just I just love helping people and I love sharing the wealth of knowledge from all the different aspects of this industry that I've been involved in to help them become better in navigating all of the different parts that play together to make a successful buyer or seller and a successful realtor. So how many years did you spend as a real estate agent? Three and a, three and a half when I was, I, I'm 65 right now, I'll be 66 this year. Um, I'm glad I've still got my high energy. Still young man. Um, yeah. And, uh, I was a real estate agent for three and a half years when I lived in Maryland the first time back in the late seventies. Didn't understand what opportunity was there in my hand. I squandered some of the great earnings that I had. I was young, um, but a lot of what I remembered from back then being let loose in the real estate market 
has been some of the groundwork for what I advise agents to do from the experiences that I've had on how to become better agents and what to focus on. So between your lender now currently, correct? Yeah. Yep. So between being a real estate agent and a lender, what was that journey like for you? Well, I, I wasn't sure that the real estate business was going to be, and when I say the real estate business, I don't just mean buying and selling. You know, lenders part of the real estate business. Appraisers are part of the real estate business. Trainers, you've got your your programs where you're working with realtors. Education in real estate business is part of real estate business. Um, underwriting. I mean, it all fits together when you say real estate business that most people think you're talking about a realtor. No, you're talking about all the different pieces that fit together to make this industry what America's biggest economy is about. Yeah, there, there's a complete ecosystem. Oh, yeah. It, it, it all feeds off itself. You can't do, can't do one without understanding the others. And that's been my strength. When I, I wasn't sure I wanted to do it. I had a lot of construction background and a lot of accounting background. And I went into doing insurance adjusting, putting estimates together for a couple of years, for about four or five years. There was a fellow who was a, a friend of one of my wife's uh, girlfriends that knew I was trying to figure out what to do with all these different talents that I had. And he said, why don't you come work for me? And it gave me such an insight into real estate values, repairs, insurance, appraising, even though I wasn't an appraiser, I was an adjuster, an independent adjuster. Um, it segued me from not understanding what I knew about the real estate business and what I had gotten out of into where did I want to go with the knowledge that I had? Uh, it was a I'm an experienced accountant. I mean, I ran hundred million, uh, multi-million dollar construction companies, and one thing led to another. And I knew another person who was in mortgage lending. They knew I was an accountant, had a construction background and a real estate background. And one thing led to another, and this seemed like the perfect thing for me. It's about putting puzzles together. Uh, a lender is the guy that puts all the pieces together for everybody to make it get to the closing table. And I, I really like that. It's, it's very challenging. So how many years have you been a lender now? All total, pretty getting, getting close to 10. Getting close to 10 now. So over the last 10 years, what are some changes that you've seen in lending that's improved the buyer or seller experience? Well, that's, that's an excellent question. Um, and I don't think it's just about lending. I think it's about real estate as well. I think the testing for realtors has gotten more involved in the numbers where before it was about contract writing. It still doesn't give them enough knowledge to get started in the business. I'm sure you're going to ask me a question about that, <laughs> not working with new realtors, but it doesn't give them enough to get started without a lot of help, but it does give them a larger, the, the real estate industry has changed for the better with training them for reading a settlement statement, preparing uh, for interaction with a title company, not just writing contracts. Then as far as lending goes, the, the market crash 06, 07, 08, 
really changed the way the industry was. Um, I was in it for, I'm saying 10 year, almost 10 years total. I was in it for four years. I'm now on a six year stint right here. I was in the real estate, in, in the lending market through, through the beginning of the market crash, just the beginning of it. There was something that to me, there was something wrong. There were people around me that were making so much money on what we called the back end of a loan. There was a lot of uh, secondary markets, what they called subprime back then, lending that the buyer didn't know that by pricing you a certain way, they could make a couple of points, which is and a point is 1% of the loan. They could make a couple of points on the back of the loan by directing a, a borrower towards a certain loan lending program. It didn't click for me that people sitting at desks right next to me were looking for these big deals where they could make two, three, four, five, six points on the back. They'd make 50, 60 grand on a loan and they'd be sitting flush for a while and not have to really work hard because they, in essence, they were screwing people. They were making money off of other people's opportunities. Right. And I saw that there was something wrong and I didn't price them that way. I was, I'm sure you'll ask me what I, what I brought away from the industry then and now, which is a great question. hundred percent. But I got out of it. There was something wrong. It didn't click for me. Got out of it for a number of years, several years. And the thing that's changed the most is now the government has this NMLS. You have to, to be registered. You have to be licensed. You have to take continuing education every year. You have to renew your license every year. You can't make money on the back of a loan anymore. There aren't these off-the-wall creative programs that take somebody who's poorly qualified and get them into a loan that they're going to default on. You just can't do it. And right now, this education and licensing system that we're in now puts everybody on an even plane. There might be some better pricing at one company than another. It's from how the investors and their programs want to price and scheme them to be profitable. But it's not much different from one lender to the other for more than maybe half a half a half a percent you might get on an ideal customer you might get 2.951 place you might get three and an eighth another place that's not really too much difference in the grand scheme of things this isn't like back in the late 70s when i had my first house which only cost eighty thousand dollars and i had 15 and six 16 and five eighths interest rate but you know high interest rate low prices right High prices, low interest rate. It just it keeps going back and forth over the years. And we're in a, a high value place and a low interest rate place right now. And that will flip. It will flip. It goes through cycles. Um, but the thing that I like right now about the lending industry is that it is better regulated. It's fairer to the borrower. It's a better, more respectable industry right now than it was before. That was a big, long story, but you asked the question, I answered it. 
Yeah. So, you know, now you're, you're back in your lending stint, so to speak. Yep. And the process is a lot cleaner today than it was 10 years ago by, you know, mandate, by regulation, by all these different circumstances, which may not have been if we didn't go through what we went through, you know, back oh, in 06, 07, 08. Self-corrected itself. Yeah. What, what are some things that you see? Well, actually, let me go back real quick. You're licensed in a lot of states, right? Everywhere but New York. So you have to keep up all those licenses, right? There's a lot of different regulation. Most, I would say 75% of the states are similar. 15 or 75 to 85 are, are similar. 15 to 25% of them might have a special class you have to take. Um, and it's, it's a lot to keep up with, but it, it's important. It's important if you want to do business and be fair to people. So your clients are national. Pretty much everywhere but New York, you can do business or work on a loan with somebody. Absolutely, yes. Okay. What do you think is important that real estate agents know when it comes to working with a lender? And this is kind of loaded, right? Because there's a million questions I could ask. How do you know it's the right lender? How do you choose the right lender? What do you look for when you're actually looking for that external team member, a lender that you can consistently refer business to that's going to help you get your clients across the finish line. Like, what are some things that you think are important for real estate agents to know in the business to not only manage their own business, but do good by their clients and really understand what's happening from the lender perspective? Would you mind sharing some of that? One of the things that's part of my job that I think realtors should look at is, and I don't mean any disrespect to any experienced, well-educated, continually educated realtors, but there are a lot of realtors who are new or do not do a big enough volume to understand all of the aspects of the industry, and it ties to that word teamwork, which is some realtors, what, what a realtor should look for is a lender that understands insurance. For instance, some underwriting programs require a certain minimal deduction and minimal coverage. They have to understand appraisals, not just what an appraisal is about, how to do comps themselves. It makes them better realtors in pricing their properties so they don't have negotiated problems at the end, right at the last minute before a contract goes to, goes to can go to closing. Um, and th this comes from a, an experienced lender. What are the appraisals about? What, what is the appraisal procedure? What is the timeline for it? That you have to get it out and ordered right away. I know some lenders don't order it in the first couple of days. And it, Right. Here's a perfect example. If you work with a lender who doesn't understand appraisals and the appraisal process right now, there are less appraisers in this country than are needed right now. They go through a lot of education, even though they look at facts, they look at com comparisons, they have to make an opinion and their opinion has to be based on good educational foundation. 
appraisers right now, there aren't enough of them. And because there aren't, and the market is so busy right now, if you're working with a lender that doesn't understand how, how important it is to get that appraisal order up front, appraisals sometimes are coming in higher priced, which you have to educate your borrower on, your client. For me, it's a customer. For them, it's a client. You have to educate your client on what the pricing scheme could be on your appraisal that you got to pay for up front. And that the time frame isn't just two weeks anymore. I've got appraisals sometimes take three, four weeks. Some of them are doubled in price. And what about the what about the, the, the underwriting process? If a realtor doesn't understand that putting paperwork together to help your borrower with the underwriting process that a lender needs, they're not understanding where the where the where the industry is right now. There is so much paperwork that's needed, and it can all be done electronically. And we've got, believe it or not, I would say of every 10 customers I have, you're going to laugh at this, two or three of them, no matter how educated they are in their, in their, their careers, are not computer savvy. They don't know. They're so, so iPhone driven, so cell phone driven. They don't know how to save a file as a PDF and send it off in an email to their lender. Sometimes the realtor, I have to send the realtor a copy of the list of items that I've requested from the borrower to get them to help them find it, download it, and send it to me. You're surprised at that, aren't you? Well, that's what I was going to ask you is like, you know, what do you mean by help, right? Like, what does that actually mean? Actually mean? But you just answered that question. You're basically saying, look, here's a checklist of stuff that I need. I'm not getting it all from your client. You as their real estate agent, can you please help them do A, B, and C? Some old school realtors, some, they say to me when I ask them for help, they go, that's not my job, Jerry. That's your job as a lender. And I say, no, it's not. If you want to get this, and, and after we go through these tests, like it's, it's like let's say it's a, a, a new realtor that I'm not de- I haven't dealt with before. If they have that comment to me right in the middle of processing, believe it, believe it that when we're done this one, they work with me more in the future because they realize it is a different industry than they grew up with. Some of these old school realtors, they think it's my job, but in this world, if you don't work as a team, if if you think about the paycheck, because this is a business, think about the paycheck, you're focused on the wrong thing. It has to be about service. And if you don't interact with a realtor, if you don't interact with your borrower the same way that I do, they're not going to give you any referrals and they're not going to respect you. I, I get a comment. I, I, I do the same for every customer, whether it's a family, friend, a relative, a perfect stranger. I'm going to I'm going to bust my butt to help them get qualified and get everything together on time, ready to close, no matter who they are. And I get a comment more often than not. Jerry, do you do this for everybody? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's about a sir. It's about service. And if a realtor doesn't realize that it's a service industry. They're not doing a, a service to their client. It's a level of commitment. Oh, a- absolutely. It's a level of commitment. Yep. Which I'm sure you do in your counseling of 
of realtors. It's a level of commitment. You're either in it or you're not. hundred percent. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yes. So in what, what would a realtor, what would a realtor be looking for in a lender? They'd be looking for someone that advocates all parties providing that service that's needed. Even title companies today, if I can find it in any state, if I find a title company that covers a region, especially in this, since we've had this pandemic, and I'm watching the time now, I don't want us to run long because I can, I can be long at the long, long winded here. I even find that I've learned I have to focus on title companies that give good service too. Let's say I'm looking at a borrower in Utah and it's Northwest Utah. And I find a, I find a title company that really provides good service at the very end. And they say, I'm going to do whatever it takes to help you get to closing. Even if I have to send a remote closure out at eight thirty, nine o'clock at night, because we're getting clear to close in the morning and we're negotiating the final numbers and documents and the borrower doesn't get off work till six o'clock at night and has to drive 30 minutes at home, has to feed the kids and isn't ready till seven o'clock. If I find a title company that will do a remote closing for less than 150 bucks to make sure that closes on time that day and gets recorded the next day, I'm going to use them over and over again. And I'm going to I'm going to refer them to the borrower and the realtor the next time something comes up in that area. And I keep them in my database of good title companies, selfish title companies. So it, <laughs> it, it's the whole thing is it, it's service. Right. It's service. Yeah. What do you look for in a referral from a real estate agent? If that makes sense, you know, like what, what do you want in a real estate agent that you want within your network? What do you look for? I I want them to refer for them to refer to me. I would like them to do a a, a little bit. Some do it. I would like them to focus a little bit on some pre-screening. They can't ask them the same kind of questions I do, but they can. They can't ask them. You know how how much money you got in the bank. I mean, it's different for them, even though they have a fiduciary relationship, which means they can ask them these questions. They don't. I can, even though they're my customer, I work with credit. I work with dollars. I work with job records, but they can ask them just some simple questions. How long have you been in your job? How long have you been in that industry in that job? even though you've gone from company to company. Do you have sufficient money in the bank? Do you think your credit score is low, medium, or high? Do you understand the real estate process? Are you a first-time homebuyer? Has anybody in your family ever bought or sold real estate before? How long have you lived where you live? What do you pay in rent? Are you looking for the same pricing scheme on a payment for real estate if you're going to buy? that you're paying in your rental. Simple questions without getting into the details really helps them be able to get the borrower prepared to talk to a lender. Because instead of the lender shocking them with the kind of questions that we're asking, they should open the dialogue up a little bit first. They should pre-screen them, even if they're not getting too in-depth into it. Because if they refer them to me, it shouldn't just be, hey, Jerry, I got somebody. 
um, I don't know anything about them except that they're a first time home buyer. Can you talk to them? Well, that goes back to the education piece that we were talking about earlier, right? Where if the real estate agent can help warm people up, like, hey, I'm referring you to my lender, Jerry Green. Here's what you can expect for an initial conversation. These are the types of questions that he's going to ask. These are some of the documents he may want to see, just so you know, right? So it's not a cold open, hey, show me your bank account. Exactly. Exactly. I, I don't need them to get into the details about what they have in the bank, how they get paid, um, what their actual credit score is, because they, they don't, you know, th those aren't things that are important at that point. But yeah, they do have to, they do have to get them thinking the right things before they get into it. Um, and then the other part that I always want people to talk about, and in particular, I think I, I've mentioned this to you before, is one of the things that I advocate today is especially in this new world that we're living in, like the words that Tevia says to Golda in Fiddler on the Roof, if you've ever seen it, after the, the first child, the first daughter says, I'm going to marry so-and-so, not, not the other guy. He looks at his wife and he says, it's a new world, Golda. Well, it is. We're in a, we're in a different world right now. And it's putting an accent on building family wealth. And by that, if you're going to get if you're going to be buying and selling real estate, you have to think what the long-term impact is of how it fits into your life. Can you retain it? Can you keep that that real estate in? Is it your first one? Is it your second one? Do you have to sell the last one? And in particular, I advocate this to minorities a lot. Uh African American, Hispanic in particular to to those those cultures that if you're going to get into the real estate market, you need to discuss it with your family members. You need to, you need to get everybody, if you can, on board, your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your aunt, your uncle, your brother, your, your children. You, you want to educate them early. You want to get family knowledge in what you're doing. Because a lot of them, it's, it might be the only one that that's, it might be the only transaction that family's ever ever done. And a smart customer is a good customer. If they're not, you educate them, they become better customers, better well, clients. You use the word impact. And in so many ways, it's opportunity, right? Because for me, like I always say, real estate is, it's two things. It's people and it's partners. The third thing it actually is, is a long game. And that's where the impact and the opportunity lies. Right. Because if we look at 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 year histories of properties throughout the major metropolitan areas of the United States, right, they've done nothing but increase in value. Yeah, there's dips and corrections and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, the house I live in today, the value is way higher than it was 10 years ago, regardless Absolutely. of the cycle it went through in between. It doesn't matter. It's worth more. But can you can you sell it and buy something else? Because you know the you know inflation, you know wages come up, values, everything increases. Hopefully, wages increase, but wages increase, cost of living increases, home values increase. But tapping into that real estate and keeping that value and that equity in your family is extremely important. I think these days. I love that. Yeah, I think that's 
That's huge. And real estate is one of the best vehicles for generational wealth. Yes, it is. And I like that phrase too, generational wealth, not just family wealth. Yeah. It's it's funny. I, I Somebody said something to me a couple of years ago, and I responded to them with this thought that I'm going to relate to you. And it has played, it's starting to play out now. If you look back at the 20s, 30s, 40s, until the post- World War II world, there were family compounds. We had a lot of poor people. There wasn't, there was this separation of wealth back then. There was the lower, the, the lower class or the lower income people in America and the high, higher class or, or wealthy people in America. There was not much of a middle class before the end of World War II. There was a big economic boom, baby boomers, middle class developed. The family compound disappeared in essence. It wasn't children, parents, grandparents, and maybe even a grandparent living together. It's starting to come back. A couple of years ago, I said it would come back. It's starting to, I would say probably... 10, maybe approaching 15% of my customers have a family member living with them. Could be a brother, could be a parent, could be a child, could be a grandparent. And what's going to be for sale soon could change too with all that dead commercial space that might end up being converted into condos, apartments. It's going to be converted to residential. A lot of a lot of that dead commercial property that people are now working from home. We don't expect a lot of the industries to change. They might people might still be working from home long into the future. So there's 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 a lot of changes going on in the industry right now that some realtors don't even think about, that some buyers and sellers don't even think about. Yeah, because you have that retail or even light commercial or mixed use space that may be a, a strip mall in a great location where you can keep the retail or storefronts on the bottom and go vertical and build multifamily housing. Yep. Yep. And what about the high rises in the big cities that the commercial office spaces that are dead now, you got 20 story buildings in Washington, DC that are, they're empty. My wife and I just came back from a trip to New York a couple of weeks ago. We just went, we we just, we saw um, Lady Gaga and Tony Bennett, the last show. Oh, cool. And it was it was wonderful. Yeah, I bet that was phenomenal. It, it, it was. We had seen her in Vegas do her nightclub act. We didn't do we didn't go to the the, the pop con, contemporary music. We went to the, the nightclub show. She did she does both shows and she's going back to Vegas again. And it was a, it's like a tribute to Tony Bennett and traditional American songbook music. And we loved her so much, we went and saw her when the tickets came on sale. A couple of weeks ago, for that last that last show of the two at uh, Radio City Music Hall, on the drive up, we were surprised when we came out of the Lincoln Tunnel. This was on a Wednesday because the show was was it was Thursday. It was it was a Thursday? We got out of the Lincoln Tunnel, and it used to take us to get to our place up the north end of Times Square. It used to take us. 
30 minutes, 40 minutes to get through traffic. Under 15, there was nobody on the roads. There was no congestion at the intersections with, with pedestrians. Then after the show, we met a couple of friends and we went, we wanted to go out and get a cocktail. There were no bars are open. They were all closed at 10 o'clock. This is the city that never sleeps. Yeah, right. We looked out of our condo the next morning and looked across the street at an office building. On the floor that we were on and the ones we could see, I would say at least 50% of the offices were dark and empty. It was either a Thursday morning or a Friday morning. It's unbelievable what's happening in the cities. That's going to impact the, the, the residential industry. Yeah, and probably a whole bunch of different ways that we haven't even imagined yet, right? I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity both now and in the future. And some of it is going to be triggered by pure imagination of what is the opportunity and how can this be repurposed? What gets you up in the morning? Why do you keep doing what you're doing? Why do you commit to lending? Most transactions, what motivates me is the happy tone that comes out of somebody's voice the day after they close on a transaction. I, I have this phrase that I use when, especially in this industry where properties are getting bid up and people are missing on houses that they want in the conversation with borrowers and, and realtors, I use this phrase a lot when they're trying to figure out, once I give them numbers on what a particular property's closing cost, down payment, monthly payment would be. Because I look at everything, I tell them that I want to look at things before they go out. I want to, I want to double check. If, if a realtor gives a borrower, I'm going to get to the point. If a realtor gives a borrower 10 properties to look, wants to give them 10 properties to look at, I say, give me those 10 first. I've already talked to my borrower. Let me do the numbers on them first. If three of them don't fit into that scheme, I want you to be able to tell your borrower that. So I give them, I give them back the input on those 10, which they don't give me 10. But if I find three that look outside how the borrower has explained to me what they want, I say, these three fit, these seven don't. Just telling you. Realtor then goes back to the borrower before they go out looking and spending time. Well, Jerry said these three are this way. These seven are okay. Then they look at those 10 total and they say, well, I, they might say, I like one of those three, even though it's outside my pricing scheme. I want to go look at this one. But of those seven, I really only want to look at five of them. So there's five of seven and one of three, that's six. They just save themselves the travel time and the anguish of looking at four that just don't work. So my phrase is always, when they're getting ready to make an offer, is this a house that you're interested in or is this the home that you want? A, the you like that one? Yeah. Yeah. It's, so it's, my motivation getting up every morning it's realistic is, too. It's very realistic. My motivation in the morning when I get up is I'm going to make some people happy. You want them to find the Granted, house. it's maybe 85% of them are happy. The other 15, no matter what you do, 
They're just miserable people and they're just not going to be happy. Even though they got what they want, they're still not going to be happy at the end. One of the, one of the two, you know, there's a husband and wife. One of them's going to be extremely happy. One of them's going to be modestly happy. So there's some disdain in the whole process or why didn't the appraisal get done quicker? Or why is my insurance cost too high? Or that wasn't the payment that I want. But no matter what it is, 10, 15% of them just aren't going to be completely happy, even though they got what they wanted. But those 85% of my borrowers that are so happy at the end, that joy of doing the service, doing the job, giving them what they want, gets me up in the morning and then I get paid. It's not about me. It's got to be about them. And if I can make them happy, that's my motivation. That, that gets me going. I just love happy people. I'm a happy guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. But um, what's the one thing you'd like to pay forward to other professionals within the real estate industry? If somebody's listening to our conversation, you know, they're a fly on the wall listening to us talk. If you could just give them one thing, one golden nugget, so to speak, to walk away with, what is that one thing that you'd like to share? It's the thing I just said. Okay, it's the thing I just said, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make it simple. I know you want to be a successful realtor. And I know you want to have good income because you want to make the money that affords the lifestyle that you dream of. Take that thought and communicate it to the transaction and say, I'm going to provide the service. I'm going to become educated. I'm going to become experienced. And I'm going to put that borrower first. I'm going to make the service my focus. And if you focus on service, you will be a success. That's, that's the nugget. That's the, whole, that's the whole ball of wax. I mean, that's the whole thing. Yeah. We're in a service industry. Yeah. Serve it's, first, it's, get paid later. It's a, it's service in general is not what it was when our parents were growing up. It's, yeah. it's, it's got to come back. There's got to be, got to be good service. If you focus on service, people appreciate it. They really do. Well, I think that's the opportunity is that if you create an experience that others don't, you're no longer a commodity. You are not just another real estate agent. You're not just another lender. You are the guy or the girl that just gets it done and makes it happen. And that is the person that gets referred, is the person who takes it over the finish line and can deliver above and beyond and include resources. If a realtor wants to really build their business, think about the service because every person you touch could develop a lead for you. Yep. Yeah. You're really big. That's the bottom line. Yeah, especially somebody like you who's licensed in 49 states. That's a lot of referrals, <laughs> right. you know? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, Jerry, this has been amazing. Um, thank you for sharing with us today. We appreciate it. And, um, you know, I look forward to doing this again. And keep doing what uh, you're doing. Absolutely. absolutely. I, I feel I do. And I, I would like to be even better. I'd like to be even better. I love it. It's, it's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you. Thanks, Jerry. Take care and enjoy your day. Okay. Right, you too. Hey guys, it's Ray. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Thanks so much for being here and we'll see you on the next one.